0: Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance,
1: and food safety. Hi, my name is Caroline Stocks of Poultry Health today and with me is Dr. Bruce Stewart-Brown who's the Senior Vice President of Technical Services and Innovation at Purdue Farms. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Yep, glad to be here.
1: Now the last couple of years have been a bit of a strange one for all of us uh, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic and the broiler industry hasn't been immune to, uh, to those strange times. When did the, the broiler industry first start to feel the impacts of the pandemic?
0: In uh, March, April of 2020, that's when um, actually that's when the United States and 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 many things were happening everywhere, and it started very quickly uh, in the broiler industry um, a, as it came on in March.
1: And how did those uh, how did those effects play out? Was it was it uh, demand straight away from from food orders being down? Uh, retail, what what was the impact?
0: It started with. Uh, Supply chain, um, you know, and 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 people saw this. I'm I'm sure the food service, uh, food service restaurant kind of um, um, business completely plummeted, like um, in an in amazingly quick um, decrease of of business in the food service area, and then kind of weirdly or or maybe understandably at the same time the retail sector exploded to uh to the high side and and that becomes very complicated for for the poultry industry poultry industry companies so when food service goes down the food service plants got chickens coming at them uh still from from being placed and they got no place to go with them and and yet tray pack is uh really accelerated to uh, but you can't kind of get the bird in the right place in the right plant
1: so what actually happened then how did the industry react
0: so the first thing that that happens is the company says uh, please stop please stop growing birds well you can't stop growing birds Um, the first thing you can do is stop placing or putting eggs in the hatchery but that's that will only show up at the plant five or six or seven weeks later. So you, you do that, but now you have these birds in the field that, that you have to kind of figure out how to, what to do with them. And, um, and so in our case, we started to uh, work with the plant going, if, how many of these birds will you be able to process? And, and that means we ended up slowing some birds down in the field to keep them at the right weight.
1: So exactly how is the management changed then to slow down the bird growth?
0: We ended up um, decreasing the protein in the feed and increasing the energy in the feed um, in order to kind of satiate the bird for a calorie perspective, but, but less protein, so less growth rate. And we changed some management things as well. We um, ended up kind of um, changing the lighting uh, programs so that they had more dark. Activity was um, controlled a little bit more. You know, typically the feed for this kind of bird is pelleted so that's easy for them to grab onto. We ended up crumbling feeds that we don't normally crumble in order to kind of slow down consumption. And in some cases, we, uh, you know, slowed them down 10 days, it took them 10 days longer to get to their target weight, which gave the plant a break, it allowed the plant to, to to kind of uh, be able to operate a little bit more successfully.
1: You mentioned that, um, giving the, the processing facilities a bit of breathing space, was there a real issue in terms of um, staffing shortages? Did you have any problems there?
0: That came actually second. And then after a couple of months, it's uh, wait a second. We we don't have enough people to process these birds um, like you want, like we want to. So we still need to slow down further. The labor at the plant became, let's say, many times like seventy-five percent of normal staffing. So the plant could not produce, you know, to the level that that you were hoping they could.
1: When it came to managing the birds then and keeping them on the on the farms for that that extra ten days to uh, to get to the right weight, um, were you having to change management in terms of their health and welfare?
0: Actually, there were some really interesting things on health and welfare. It 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 was as good or better uh, than normal. Once we could affect the hatchery or decrease the amount of eggs placed in the hatchery, we were able to place we We needed to place less birds in the field, and in our case, uh we spread them out over the existing farms. the birds had more space than they typically would have um and and, and actually, that was an interesting component of the whole thing is what what now uh, how do they grow at this uh, increased space anyhow, the birds uh did quite well um with Uh, With health and welfare, Um, we saw really great foot pad health. Uh, We saw um, birds that the livability was uh, as good or better than we uh, typically have been seeing this time of year.
1: So is there any possibility then, having seen those benefits, that some of these these, uh, different production methods might be continued?
0: I do think that in general, the industry needs to continue to look at density placement density and and of course we are we've we've uh, been uh, increasing uh, the amount of space and chickens for the last five years trying to understand you know the net benefit to the chicken as well as <clears throat> as figuring out how to then pay the farmer for the less number of chickens that you put on the f- uh, farms we feel real strong about this you need to constantly look if you're maintaining the and or um, uh, paying attention to the needs of the bird um, as it as it evolves.
1: So, in terms of um, U.S. producers, how did they cope through all of this? Um, did many lose their operations?
0: No. Well, in our case, um, because we were placing less birds and having a little bit more layout time in between, we 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 paid it, We pay a um, a farmer. Uh, what we call space pay and rest pay space pay meaning less birds came to their farm and there's more space and then rest pay means the farm rests and the farmer rests in between flocks and it's that kind of extended to some degree now in general there was less production and so farmers were affected to a degree but we tried to share that um share that pain with them we we did uh have a pay cut uh, during the uh, pandemic associated with uh, that time period because we felt like that was a, a fair thing to do. It was in buz- business as usual. Uh, but having said that, farmers um, firmers, farmers, appreciated a number of things as we went through this. And we surveyed them uh, several times. One is they appreciated not, ha- not having to depop- depopulate on their farm. And they appreciated the support and the kind of communication.
1: Now, you also looked at at salmonella reports um, and the impact of the pandemic. What have you discovered there?
0: When you look at the CDC reports on uh, healthy people, healthy people uh, 2030, um, and some of the goals associated with salmonella, one of the challenges that they put in front of the industry and the... um, at least the food industry, and this is not just chicken, uh, was to decrease the amount of salmonella incidence, uh, public health uh, uh, disease associated with salmonella by 25% by 2030. And the interesting thing is the CDC data and food FoodNet data um, looks like um, the public health implications of the pandemic, at least in this particular metric, we've already met the 2030 goal of this 25% reduction. Is there a real reduction in salmonella, um, the public health implications of salmonella because of the way they changed their eating habits, or was it just their practices associated with going to the doctor for things other than covid which both probably need to be really studied the other thing we we discuss is maybe people got better at cooking you know better better it they they ended up eating home a lot uh and yet um and and so and maybe there were a a change in in uh, in the way that they prepared food but the interesting part is that metric looked like uh, a dramatic reduction and it really hasn't come back up um, to the level that, of, that it was expected. So the, it, it, it's something to really pay attention to is the public health implications and the food safety implications of the pandemic are, are perhaps real.
1: So cooking lessons aside, do you think that there are any, uh, any benefits you think or lessons that we could learn from COVID when it, when it comes to uh, managing salmonella?
0: Well, one of the things I, I have always believed in is that, that the probably number one best salmonella and maybe food safety intervention on a brawler farm is, is dry litter is to is to dry the facility out and um and and that's been a focus for us because i always also thought then that footpad health and salmonella carriage would be a, a couple metrics that would relate to each other so more layout less density gave us drier litter better foot pads and I do think that's a kind of a further test. It's not really new. Uh, it's just interesting to see it and to think about it and to pay attention to it and, and to kind of further um, um, emphasize the need for, for, for litter care. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com
1: join.